Your AC works overtime all summer, so be sure to replace your old air filters with new Filtry air filters. They recommend updating HVAC filters at least every three months all year round. So order your Filtry air filters today at Filtry.com. Let's clear the air. Welcome to The Sports Angle, live in Las Vegas, the entertainment capital of the world. I'm your host, Rocco Kelly. Let's get into it. The best player in the world. There is always this discussion in any sport you have. There's been discussion in baseball. There's been discussion in basketball. There's been discussion about who's the best fighter in MMA, best fighter in boxing. There's always that talk about who's the best quarterback, who's the best coach in the NFL. And heck, even in hockey, you always get debates about who the best player in the world is. Major League Baseball is no exception. Major League Baseball, for the last five years, has been dominated by Mike Trout. Mike Trout has been the force to be reckoned with in Major League Baseball. But this season, there seems to be a tide shifting. There seems to be a direction going someplace else in Major League Baseball. So I'm going to propose the question. Is Mike Trout still the best player in Major League Baseball? Is Mike Trout the unanimous best player in the world when it comes to baseball? Because to make this a correlation... In basketball, you talk about Kevin Durant, you talk about LeBron James, you talk about Giannis, you talk about Curry, you talk about you know all these players in the NBA, they get talked about as the best in the world. In football, Tom Brady has been among the best for the past decade and a half. In hockey, Connor McDavid has been the pinnacle of success in the NHL, and in baseball, like I said, for the past half decade, it has been Mike Trout. Could it be somebody else? Could it be someone else in Major League Baseball that is the best in the world? Mets, baby. Hey, you know what Kings are? Your Mets are doing great right now. Them and the White Sox are performing at an elite level. I like to see it. Hey, Joshua Bailey, your Giants, by the way, they look like a phenomenal team in the NL West. I'm genuinely surprised. I mean, Evan Longoria, Buster Posey, have we turned back a decade? Because those two are lighting it up in San Francisco. Acuna Jr., you said Kings are. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm going to go over the top five players in baseball and make an argument for why they are and why they are not the best in the world. Trout is definitely the best right now. He makes it look so easy. I'm glad you said that. MLB doesn't promote their players like the rest of the leagues. Yeah, we have a bunch of nobodies. (laughs) Yeah, the Giants are interesting, but hey, it's been fun to watch. So we've gone over Mike Trout. The pro for why he is the best in the world is his consistency with MVPs. 
his consistency with all-star appearances, his consistency when it comes to batting average, OPS, slugging percentage. Mike Trout does it all in Major League Baseball. And like Joshua Bailey said in the comments, he makes it look so easy. His accolades back up every single argument. He's had a trio of MVP awards, eight-time All-Star, eight-time Silver Slugger. He's won uh, back-to-back MVPs in the All-Star game. Mike Trout has done it all. The one con, however, the one argument you can make for why he isn't the best in the world is the lack of team success. There are going to be people out there who are going to say that the reason why Mike Trout is not the best in the world is because he hasn't won a World Series. He's not the best in the world because he's never made it to a World Series. When you look at the top 10 players in all time when it comes to baseball, what do they all have in common? They have won championships. Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, Willie Mays. And when you look at guys like Hank Aaron, guys like Barry Bonds, there has been guys in Major League Baseball history, they have won World Series titles at the end of the day. You have guys in the Hall of Fame, and they're in the Hall because they have those rings and they have those trophies to back it up. Mike Trout might be the Dan Marino of Major League Baseball. He might be that good where he will never win a championship, but man, you knew you saw something special when he played. Also, one more weakness for Mike Trout. One, um, one dis, uh, one dis that you could say about Mike Trout is the aspect that he cannot stay healthy. Mike Trout has not played 160 games in his entire career. Mike Trout has never played a full season. In fact, he is last time he has played 155 games or more was in 2016. He only played 114 in 2017, only 110 in 2018, only 140 in 2019, and he even missed games in that shortened 2020 season as well. And we are only a month and a half in to the 2021 season and he has already missed select games. So when it comes to Mike Trout, I will say that that could be a good argument for why he's not the best. Because when you are the best player in the world, the expectation is that you're going to be there every single night. When you are the greatest, when you're the GOAT, people expect you to be there day in and day out. Let's go to the comments. DeGrom is best pitcher. I think Garrett Cole would have an argument in that. Like, I love Jacob DeGrom. And to me, Garrett Cole and Jacob DeGrom are 1A and 1B. Like, they are some of the best pitchers I have seen in the modern era. Like, not to, not to make this an overblown argument, but Garrett Cole and Jacob DeGrom is like Greg Maddox and Randy Johnson back in the 90s. That is how great they are. All right, Greg Maddox was a phenomenal pitcher, but so was Randy Johnson. And that's to me what I feel like is what's going on right now with Jacob DeGrom and Garrett Cole. They are 
the Randy Johnsons and Greg Maddox of our era. That's how great they are. Hey, Barry Bonds, he didn't win crap. <laughs> well, I mean, Barry Bonds isn't in the Hall of Fame, but there are going to be people who are going to make the argument that he should be in the Hall of Fame. So as we're talking about who is the best baseball player in the world, I focused on Mike Trout. I gave you the pros and I gave you the cons. Now let's move on to the next player on the list. How about Mookie Betts? Mookie Betts, longtime Boston Red Sox, now is playing out there with the Dodgers organization. Could you make an argument that Mookie Betts is the best player in baseball? Well, let's go over his accolades. One-time AL MVP, four-time All-Star, two-time World Series champion, five-time Gold Glove Award winner, and a four-time Silver Slugger. Let's also mention that he has won a batting title and has been a Defensive Player of the Year at his position. What about his statistics this year, however? Because the one biggest con and the one biggest weakness that you have to put towards Mookie Betts is that 2021 has been a step down for Mookie Betts. Four home runs, 11 RBIs, but he has only a 258 batting average, and he only has an OPS of 813. To give you a comparison, when he was winning the MVP trophy, he had an OPS of 1.078, had a batting average of 346, and was hitting 80 RBIs. So I'm not saying that Mookie Betts is a terrible player, but there has been a drop in his production ever since uh, the 2021 season has started. People have also analyzed with Mookie Betts that when it comes to his game, there are certain flaws in it that have to be addressed. Yes, is he a fantastic defensive glove? Absolutely. But when it comes to his bat, yes, he gets on base, but he is not the guy that's going to hit 40-plus home runs. He's not the guy that you're going to see have a consistent 300 batting average. He did that one year, uh, one incredible year. But ever since he got to the Dodgers and ever since he has had that season, he has floated around the 290-280 area when it comes to a batting average. So understanding Mookie Betts, I will say that the pro is that he's a multi-time World Series champion. He's won MVPs. He's done it all. But the one con to his game is ever since 2018, his production has slowly declined over the last couple of years. So we're going to move on from Mookie Betts, and let's go down to Atlanta. Let's talk about the guy that King Czar mentioned in the comments. What about Ronald Acuna? Jr. Because Ronald Acuna Jr., I've said this on the show before, will eventually surpass Mike Trout as the best player in baseball. To me, he has all the characteristics. He has the traits. He is a five-tool player in Major League Baseball. I mean, Ronald Acuna Jr. in his four seasons in Major League Baseball, here is what he has done. He is already a one-time All-Star. He is a two-time Silver Slugger, one Rookie of the Year, and currently this season has 11 home runs, which ties MLB for among the most in Major League Baseball, has 23 RBIs, a batting average of 304, and an OPS of 1.043. 
So understanding Ronald Acuna Jr., he has been a hitting machine for the Atlanta Braves organization. And one of the biggest pros of Ronald Acuna's game, he's not in his prime yet. He's not even 24 years of age, and he's doing all of this in Atlanta. Wait until he gets into his prime, which is for most players, by the way, starts at 25 years of age. When he gets to 25 and he has that long tenure of being a a prime player in Major League Baseball, expect him to do great um, stuff for Major League Baseball. The one weakness for Ronald Acuna Jr. has been the same that Mike Trout has had to deal with, and that is the injury bug. Ronald Acuna Jr. has been hit uh, intentionally by pitchers multiple times during his career, which has caused him to be sidelined with injuries. He also has been injured twice this season, and he just got injured earlier today. We're going to have to wait and see what the MRI comes back with with Ronald Acuna Jr. So when it comes to Acuna, the pro is that he's not even 25. He's not in his prime yet, and yet he's already a two-time Silver Slugger, been been to All-Star Games, and was NL Rookie of the Year. The con is the injury bug has hit him just like Trout has. So there's two more players on our list that we have to talk about when it comes to the best baseball players in the world. The next one, I have to go down to San Diego, and I'm going to talk about Fernando Tatis Jr. Now, the pro with Fernando Tatis Jr. is that he is a five-tool player. He can do it all in the field. When you watch Fernando Tatis Jr. out there in San Diego, he has done everything and anything that the Padres organization needs him to do. He already has a silver slugger. He is already establishing himself as an elite caliber superstar in Major League Baseball. He was voted most popular player in Major League Baseball back in 2020. And he has been voted by most people as the new face of Major League Baseball. So he has a lot of expectations around him. Also, considering that he is only 22 years old, he has been setting Major League Baseball on fire. Nine home runs, 14 RBIs this season. His batting average is 240, but there's one aspect we need to understand about Fernando Tatis Jr., Yes, his batting average is not among the highest. It's kind of similar to the whole Mookie Betts situation. His batting average is not going to be high. But what Fernando Tatis Jr. does well is putting home runs on the board. He is good at getting the ball in play when it matters the most. I mean, he had 17 home runs in 59 games last year. He only missed one game in the entire 2020 shortened season, and During that second half of 2019, when he was brought up by the Padres organization, in 84 games, he had 22 home runs. So he pretty much hits a home run every three and a half games. So that is incredible when you really stop to analyze it. Fernando Tatis Jr. has great power, and him being a Petco part definitely helps him have a huge spotlight out there with Fernando Tatis Jr. So when it comes to analyzing Fernando Tatis Jr., his pro is that at 22 years of age, 
he has been titled and he has been named as the future face of Major League Baseball. The con with Fernando Tatis Jr. is can they help him get better on defense? Can Fernando Tatis Jr. figure out how to get better with his glove? Yeah, he's only 22 years of age. But when it comes to Fernando Tatis Jr., there are certain aspects in his defensive game that can definitely be improved on. So offensively, he can rake. He can hit home runs left, right, and center. But defense, that's going to need some helping. So Fernando Tatis Jr., he joins Ronald Acuna Jr., Mookie Betts, and Mike Trout as candidates for the best player in the world when it comes to Major League Baseball. And the fifth and final player on my list, we're going to head down to Washington, D.C., and we're going to talk about 22-year-old Juan Soto. Ever since Juan Soto started with the Nationals in 2019, he has been electrifying. He has been the face of the franchise ever since Bryce Harper left. And only in his short career, he already has a World Series title. He has a bat, he has batting title and a silver slugger already in his career. Let's also analyze the fact that he had 110 RBIs in that 2019 season when they won the World Series. Last year, he had a 351 batting average, a 1.185 OPS, and led all of the National League in every hitting category in that shortened 2020 season. 2021, it looks like his stats have fallen back down to earth just a bit, but he still has 11 RBIs. He has an 820 OPS, and he has been getting compared to so many Hall of Famers by MLB scouts. So the one pro to Juan Soto's game is that he has been he has been clutch every single year he has been in the league. He has been consistent. He's been durable. When you need someone to step up to the plate, Juan Soto is that guy. And also the one pro that I can't ignore is that in center field, in right field, in left field, you could put him in almost any spot in the outfield, and Juan Soto's glove can take care of can take care of the rest. Honestly, I believe that his glove is one of the most underrated in all of baseball. The one con about Juan Soto. One of the biggest deterrents to Juan Soto being the best player in Major League Baseball is people are going to make the argument that Juan Soto is not the best player on his team. People have seen what Trey Turner can do at shortstop. People have saw what Max Scherzer can do at, at uh, behind the mound. They're seeing what Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin. There's so much talent with that Nationals team that people have even made the argument that Juan Soto benefits from having all that talent in Washington. People have also tried to make that argument with Mookie Betts but they normally fail miserably when they try to use that counter argument. So Juan Soto at 22 years of age is a superstar and an upcoming beast in, in MLB. But his con is that most people have this idea that he has been helped and he has a lot of help out there in Washington, D.C. So I'm going to give you my angle. My angle is that Mike Trout is still the best player in Major League Baseball. However, I believe that Ronald Ocuna Jr. 
can surpass him in a couple of years. I believe that Ronald Okunia Jr. will surpass Mike Trout by the middle of the decade. Ronald Acuna Jr. is one of the best talents I have ever seen in Major League Baseball. Five-tool player, hitting, fielding, defensive, stealing, his speed. Everything that you look for in a baseball player, Ronald Acuna Jr. can do, and he's not even 24 years old yet. So by the time he's in his prime, I guarantee that unless major injuries happen, Ronald Acuna Jr., will surpass Mike Trout as the best player in Major League Baseball. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Let me know in the chat down below. Go to our comments on Twitter, hashtag the sports angle, or go to our website, thesportsangle.com, and check out all our content. So here's what we're going to do here on the sports angle. We are going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to get into our racing report and talk about the odds for the upcoming NASCAR race at Dover International Speedway. So, I'm your host, Rocco Kelly. This is the Sports Angle. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this.
Welcome back to the Sports Angle live in Las Vegas, the entertainment capital of the world. I'm your host, Rocco Rakelli. Let's get back into it. Go to our website, thesportsangle.com. Check out all the articles we have on there as well. Go to our YouTube channel, hit the uh, subscribe button, turn on notifications, and remember to like, follow, and share all the content. We definitely appreciate all the support. Where is Otani on your list? He is one of the best. Look, he is that he is a very, very talented guy. But I don't know if it is appropriate to put him on a list of the best players in baseball. Yes, he can pitch and he can hit. But I say that you would be very jumping the gun if you're putting Shohei Otani on that list of among the best players in Major League Baseball. Now let's go to our racing report. We This is a weekly segment where we go over the biggest topics in Formula One, IndyCar, NASCAR, World of Outlaws, NHRA, you name it. We talk about it here on the Sports Angle. We're going to go over the odds for the 2021 Dry Dean 400 at Dover International Speedway. I'll, I'm going to go over the top uh, drivers on the list, and I'm going to kind of give you an explanation for why they are so high on the list. As one of the odds-on favorites to win at Dover, we have Kyle Larson at 4-1 to one odds. Uh, this should be very self-explanatory for people who do watch NASCAR. Kyle Larson is one of the most talented drivers in the garage area. He has already won races already this year at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. He has been one of the best drivers in the field week in and week out. And on top of that, he has shown the pace and consistency to get the job done driving for Hendrick Motorsports. Now, the reason why I believe that he is a 4-1 to odds to win the race in NASCAR is because of the fact that Kyle Larson on the short tracks has proven to be a hot commodity. Kyle Larson in the multiple races this year that he has been in NASCAR driving on the short tracks of Bristol, driving on the short tracks of Martinsville, he has proven time and time again that Kyle Larson can get the job done. He can get through traffic. He can we he can breeze in and out when it comes to pit stops. He is a consistent and very reliable driver when it comes to getting the job done. I also understand one important aspect of Kyle Larson's game. The way that Kyle Larson drives, he focuses on hitting certain marks lap after lap. He focuses on getting in certain sections of the track, and Dover is no exception. You can run the middle, you can run the bottom, you can run the top. Personally, I love watching Dover for this reason. There's multiple grooves you can use at Dover Dover International. So when it comes to Kyle Larson, do I expect him to win the race? Very good probability at being four to one. Next, you have Denny Hamlin at six to one. He's going to get his first win of the season at some point. I, a lot of people are waiting for it. Myself, I am waiting to see what happens when it comes to uh, Jenny Hamlin. He has gotten close time and time again. He has gotten into incidents late in races that has costed him wins. Kyle Larson 
and Denny Hamler are kind of the opposites of what they were last year. Uh, when it comes to Denny Hamlin, he was dominating, tearing up the league. He pretty much was winning with ease. Last year, Kyle Larson was consistently getting top finishes, but he was rarely finding victory lane, rarely finding the top of the marks when it came to his role at Chip Ganassi Racing. So with Denny Hamlin, him being a 6-1 to one odds to win at Dover, I will say that when it comes to him, I expect Denny Hamlin to run up front and make some noise at Dover. I mean, after all, this guy did finish fifth at Darlington, finished second at Richmond, and has finished in the podium spot at Martinsville and at Bristol. He's good at the short tracks. Next on the list is Martin Truex Jr., 7-1 to odds. Martin Truex Jr. has won multiple times this year. He has been able to get the most out of his car after a slow start to the season, but picking up those wins at Phoenix, which is a short track, picking up the win last week at Darlington would definitely make him one of the odds-on favorites to win at Darlington and to win at Dover. Let's also analyze the fact that he has won at Martinsville, he has won at Phoenix, and he finished in the top five at Richmond. So when it comes to the four Short track races that have already been ran this season. Truex has won two of them. That's why he is among the most of the odds makers. That's why they have him among the odds on favorites. And then next on the list at eight to one odds is Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott's in a similar boat to Denny Hamlin. He's waiting for his first win. This guy won the NASCAR Cup Series championship last year, and he looks like he has consistency but he hasn't been able to get it in victory lane over the past uh, two months. Chase Elliott, he finished fifth at Atlanta. Fracture prints your digital photos directly onto glass, making your favorite moments come alive in vivid color. Hand-assembled in the USA, Fracture glass prints are a unique and beautiful way to display and share your favorite moments. Simply upload your photo at FractureMe.com, select your size, and your glass print will be shipped to you. Ready to hang with just one screw. Use code POD15 to get 15% off your order today. That's code POD15 at FractureMe.com. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. You know, he finished fifth at Phoenix. He finished second at Martinsville. He has shown that he can run up front at the short tracks. As a matter of fact, with all four of the short tracks already ran, his worst finish was a 12th at Richmond. That's how good he is at short track racing. So Chase Elliott being 8-1 to one odds definitely makes sense. Uh, Kyle Busch, 8-1, to one, he has won at almost every single short track you can come up with. Yes, has he struggled at certain short tracks this season? Absolutely. But you have to remember with Kyle Busch, he is good at getting the most out of his car when he needs it done. So him, I believe he'll kind of shrug, shrug off those 25th, those 17th he had at Phoenix and Bristol earlier this year. 
and expect him to be running towards the front at Dover. And now I've gone over the top five uh, drivers on the odd sheet. Kyle Larson, four to one, Hamlin, six to one, Truex, seven to one, Bush, eight to one, and Elliott, eight to one. I kind of want to go over some drivers that are kind of on the lower tier of this, of this odd sheet, but you need to pay attention to. The first one I'm going to uh, focus on is Christopher Bell. Now, Christopher Bell is 25 to 1 odds to win at Dover, but a lot of people forget that Christopher Bell has been getting better at short tracks the more he keeps on doing it. He finished ninth at Phoenix, finished seventh at Martinsville, and finished fourth at Richmond. And before he crashed at Bristol, he was actually running in the top five when that wreck happened. So Christopher Bell has been consistently running towards the front at these short tracks. Let's also not talk about the fact that Christopher Bell has been great at Dover in the lower series over the last couple of years. And and, in the truck series and Xfinity, he has gotten the job done there at Dover in the past. So Christopher Bell at 25 to 1 could be an interesting driver to watch for at Dover. The second driver I'm going to focus on, he is a 50 to 1 odds to, to win at Dover but he hasn't won a race this year and he has actually been very consistent when it comes to keeping the car um, out of trouble and keeping the car uh, away from contact. And that is Austin Dillon. He has finished on the lead lap at almost every single short track they have ran this year. He, he ran all, he ran every single lap at Phoenix, ran every single lap at Martinsville and ran every single lap at Richmond. He also was only one lap down at Bristol, which for anybody who knows how Bristol works, 15-second lap times, you can get lapped pretty quickly. So uh, expect Austin Dillon. I don't think he's going to win the race, but do not be surprised if you see him around the 10 to 15 mark being consistently on the lead lap. That's what he does here in uh, NASCAR. We're going to also go down towards the underdog list here on the Sports Angle, talking about the NASCAR odds for the Dryden 400 in NASCAR at Dover. At 125 to 1, I want to go over Cole Custer because Cole Custer has actually been a real solid short track racer in his career. He has been a guy who's won in the past in the lower series when it matters the most. Also, He has been a guy who has gotten better as time progresses. So do I think that he'll win the race? Absolutely not. But I think that Cole Custer can turn around this season and get a potential second top 10 finish of the year. After all, he has finished around the top 20 in almost every single short track race he has ran this year. So understand that Cole Custer, 125 to one, uh, watch out for him. And at 150 to one, I'm also going to talk about his teammate, and that is Chase Briscoe. Chase Briscoe is on the same wavelength as Cole Custer. They haven't done the most when it comes to the season for Stuart Haas, but what they have is prior experience running up front in the lower series at the short track. Chase Briscoe has finished 22nd at Phoenix, 20th at Bristol. 27th at Martinsville and 22nd at Richmond. He has consistently been running around 
the 20th to 25th mark on track. So when it comes to a long shot at 150 to one, I'm not saying he's going to win. What I do say is that Chase Briscoe could get a potential top 15, maybe get his first ever top 10 in his NASCAR Cup Series career. Watch out for him. And then I have one more driver I want to mention because this guy is a huge underdog. He is 750 to one. And a lot of people have counted him out this entire season. And that is Anthony Alfredo. Now he is the definition of needing to work on his short track program. He has finished, he has finished 25th or worst at all four short tracks this season. Anthony Alfredo has been a guy that has consistently been towards the back of the pack, driving for front row motorsports. So why do I bring him up? The reason why I bring him up is because I have been watching Anthony Alfredo this season. When he doesn't wreck, when he is not behind the wall getting his stuff worked on, he can actually show solid pace during the race. Anthony Alfredo, he is not going to be contending for the win at all. But what he can try to do is try to get a top 20 finish and try to do something he hasn't done all year, which is finish on the lead lap at any racetrack not named Talladega. Because he has so far finished either a lap down or multiple laps down in nine of the first 12 races this season. He, led, he, he did every single lap at the Daytona Road Course, which is a which I said is a super speedway. And he was on every single lap at Homestead as the last driver on the lead lap. So for Anthony Alfredo, I'm going to say this. When it comes to him, him getting a top 20, top 25 finish is what he needs to do at Dover, 750 to one. So this is the sports angle. That was our racing report going over the NASCAR odds for the Dover race, Drydeen 400. And when we come back here on the sports angle, I want to get into the NBA and talk about the NBA MVP odds. So definitely stay tuned for that here on the sports angle. I'm your host, Rocco Kelly. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this.
Welcome back to The Sports Angle, live in Las Vegas, the entertainment capital of the world. I'm your host, Rocco Kelly. Let's get back into it. The NBA regular season is starting to come to a close. And the NBA awards are definitely a big part of the regular season. You have all these accolades, all these honors that happen in the NBA. So when it comes to the NBA MVP, it is the most valuable trophy. It is the most popular trophy. It is the most iconic trophy out of all And when it comes to the NBA. And I have the odds uh, via DraftKings for the NBA MVP odds. Let's go over them here on the sports angle. The odds-on favorite and the front runner to win his first ever NBA MVP is Nikola Jokic, the Joker. He is minus 2,000. I mean, this guy has been incredible. I mean, this guy has been nasty for the Denver Nuggets. I mean, Nikola Jokic has been a superstar that has elevated to the next level. But yet, a lot of people don't put him in the top five conversation when it comes to the best players in the NBA. I wonder why that is. I mean, I kind of always wondered why, if you're the MVP, then why aren't you in the conversation for among the best players in baseball? In baseball, basketball, football, hockey, golf, tennis, boxing, MMA, you name it. If you have that accolade attached to your name, why doesn't it put you in the conversation for among the best players in your respective sport? Because you hear about Steph Curry, you hear about Giannis, you hear about Harden, you hear about James, you hear about Durant, but you rarely ever hear about Jokic. But Nikola Jokic, his stats back it up, his defensive metrics back it up, his offensive metrics back it up. Everything that he has done this year has been near perfect for the Denver Nuggets. He also has the winning accolade to back up why he is on that list to begin with. After all, a lot of people know that the NBA MVP is awarded to really the player who has the number one seed or number one record in the NBA. The Denver Nuggets are four and a half games back from first place. They are the fourth seed in the Western Conference, but a lot of people tend to forget that with us having about two games left in the regular season, there is a chance that they could be the third seed in the Western Conference. There's also a possibility that Nikola Jokic could send the Denver Nuggets on a long-term run to the NBA playoffs. So understanding that Nikola Jokic has what he has done for Denver, even with the injury to Jamal Murray, the Denver Nuggets, number four seed, it's high enough to have Nikola Jokic win the NBA MVP. The second uh, odds-on favorite and the silver medal right below Nikola Jokic, and that is Philadelphia 76ers, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid 76ers, they have the best record in the Eastern Conference. They have the second-best record in the NBA. The Philadelphia 76ers have done everything right and are currently one and a half games up on the Brooklyn Nets in the Eastern Conference. Uh, so when it comes to winning, Joel Embiid's team has those metrics available. Joel Embiid plus 1,300 to win the NBA MVP. The biggest con behind him is his injuries. 
He has missed a good amount of games this season. I don't know how much that's going to affect his stock as MVP. The bronze medal right behind Embiid, right behind Jokic, is Steph Curry. He is plus 2,000 via DraftKings. The Golden State Warriors are in the play in tournament. Right now, the Golden State Warriors are the eighth seed in the Western Conference, which means if the playoffs started today, they would be the last team to get in the Western Conference, and they would face the best team in the NBA in the Utah Jazz. Now, people are going to make the argument that Steph Curry is the only reason they're winning games, which is true. I mean, it's true. But I also have heard people like Kings are, for example, make the argument that they will never give an MVP to someone who doesn't win, that they're not going to give an MVP to a team that's only four games above 500. And Kings are makes a very valid point because the NBA MVP is reliant and very, very uh, respectable. They focus on winning in terms of team success just as much as your individual accomplishments when it comes to that award. So I understand the argument, and that's why I say Steph Curry is a MVP candidate. Him being plus 2,000 definitely confirms that. But is he an MVP front runner? I'm going to say no. The next player on the list at plus 4,000, the guy who's trying to win back to back to back, and that is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now, Giannis is with the Milwaukee Bucks. They are currently the third seed in the NBA Eastern Conference, and they are 20 games plus 500. So I understand Giannis, his stats are not as incredible as last year, but with him being out there in Milwaukee, he has gotten the job done. He's doing what they need to do to win, so that's why he's on there. And the last player on the list, the number five player in the MVP voting at plus 8,000 is Luka Doncic from the Dallas Mavericks. Now, this is interesting because the Dallas Mavericks are the sixth seed in the NBA Western Conference. They are currently battling it out right now with Portland to get the fifth seed in the West. There is no doubt and there is no secret that without Luka Doncic, the Dallas Mavericks would most likely not be a playoff contender. Luka Doncic is the definition of an MVP because without him, they would win pretty much nothing out there in Dallas. So with him being plus 8,000, I understand why Luka Doncic is in the running. Now, do I believe Nikola Jokic will win the MVP? Absolutely 100%. I believe that unless Nikola Jokic does something uh, remarkably disappointing in the last two games, I believe he has this locked up. As a a matter of fact, as according to May 4th by most analysts, with the regular season winding down, Jokic has actually shortened the very heavy odds down to what it is now, and he's going to walk away with the MVP. Also, uh, a couple of days ago, Steph Curry's odds shortened now down to the average of 1,300, and he was firmly in the top three of the MVP conversation. So Steph Curry has done what he's got to do, but Jokic has done what he has had to do 
out there in Denver. So here's what we're going to do here on the Sports Angle. We're going to take one more quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into hockey. And I'm going to talk about the NHL playoffs. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on the Sports Angle. I'm your host, Rocco Raquelli. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Sports Angle, live in Las Vegas, the entertainment capital of the world. I'm your host, Rocco Raquelli. Let's get back into it. Go to our website, thesportsangle.com. Check out all the content we have on there. As well, go to all our social media at the Sports Angle. We post content every single day, so, so look out for that. As well, go to, my, go to our Twitter, at the Sports Angle and tweet at us using the hashtag the sports angle. So the NHL playoffs, the final game of the NHL regular season is tonight. All the seedings are going to be finalized. You're going to see teams finally be positioned in the right way. I'm going to give you a little update as of right now. The St. Louis Blues are beating the Minnesota Wild 4-3 to three at the end of the second period. Uh, shout out to Ricky, by the way, if you're watching Minnesota Wild. That should be a fun series to watch in the playoffs. Calgary Flames are beating the Vancouver Canucks 2-1 to one after the end of the first. And the LA Kings are beating the Colorado Avalanche after the end of the first period. For all the Vegas Golden Knights fans, you are going to be watching the scoreboard for that Colorado and Los Angeles game because you want to know if Vegas is going to be the number one seed or the number two seed in the Western Conference. For the people who are confused, let me explain. If the Colorado Avalanche beat the Los Angeles Kings tonight, they will clinch the President's Trophy for the best record in the regular season, and vice versa, they will have the number one seed in the Western Conference. If the LA Kings manage to win against Colorado tonight, the Vegas Golden Knights will have the President's Trophy and clinch the number one seed in the Western Conference. 
Now, for the people who are not hockey fans, you're going to sit there and probably go, uh, what's the big deal? Well, let me tell you. The big deal is this. Whoever is the number one seed in the West will get home field advantage in the first two rounds of the playoffs. Also, whoever gets that seeding in the number one in the West will also have home field advantage in their series against whoever comes out of the North division uh, of its Toronto, Winnipeg, Edmonton, or uh, Montreal. The reason why that is, is because the winner of the president's trophy is guaranteed home field advantage all the way till the Stanley cup. And that is a amazing detail that goes on in hockey. So as we're talking about the NHL playoffs right now, Colorado is currently losing one nothing to Los Angeles. And we are seeing as we speak, the Vegas Golden Knights, a lot of fans are scoreboard watching because if Colorado loses tonight, the Vegas Golden Knights get the number one seed and they get home field advantage in the entire Stanley Cup playoffs. That is how important this game is. So let's go over the NHL playoffs with us having a couple minutes left here on the show. The NHL, let's start with the West Division. Now, if the Colorado Avalanche get the number one seed, if Colorado manages to beat LA tonight, they will face off against the St. Louis Blues in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and the Vegas Golden Knights will face off against the Minnesota Wild in the first round. Now, let's also analyze one more aspect of that. Colorado and St. Louis have a bitter rivalry against each other over the past decade and a half. Colorado and St. Louis, they have been rivals in the Central for a long time. The Vegas Golden Knights and Minnesota Wild, Minnesota seems to have Vegas's number ever since they joined in 2017. Ever since the Vegas Golden Knights have joined, they have lost to Minnesota 10 times in their franchise history. They have gone 6-10 and 10 against the Minnesota Wild since 2017. So having to go up against them in the first round of the playoffs would be a very tough obstacle to go up against. Now let's say it went inverse. Let's say Colorado loses tonight. Then Vegas will face off against St. Louis and Colorado will face off against Minnesota. Now, Colorado and Minnesota have had a rivalry for almost as long as the Minnesota Wild have been a franchise. Ever since Minnesota beat Colorado in that first round of the playoffs when they were almost an expansion team, Colorado and Minnesota have had a rivalry ever since. Also, Vegas and St. Louis, there is bad blood there. We have seen multiple games this year with St. Louis and Vegas. It's very nasty. It's very shock and awe out there in that series. So if Vegas faces off against St. Louis, that would be a fantastic series to watch. Let's move on over to the North Division. Because the North Division has a lot of surprises and a lot of bitter emotion going on there. You have the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens facing off against each other. Now, I don't think I need to explain how bitter Toronto and Montreal are to each other. Montreal hates Toronto, and Toronto hates Montreal. 
It doesn't matter if it's football. It doesn't matter if it's baseball. It doesn't matter if it's hockey. Heck, it can even be putt-putt golf. If you have a Toronto fan and a Montreal fan in the same room, you will feel the tension in the, in the, in the room. All right, you can cut it like a knife because that is how much tension there is between the city of Toronto and the city of uh, Montreal. They don't like each other. And that will be a series in round one that hockey fans, I'm not saying Toronto or Montreal fans, no. I'm saying hockey fans will want to watch because Toronto and Montreal hate each other and you're going to see the worst of the worst come out of that series. Edmonton and Winnipeg, it'll be a nice series. You'll see Connor McDavid, you'll see a Leon Dreisaitl, and you'll see on Winnipeg's side, Connor Hellebuck. So it's going to be an interesting series out there in Edmonton for round one. So the North, you have Toronto versus Montreal, and you have Edmonton versus, uh, versus Winnipeg. Let's move over to the East, because the East division has been wrapped up for a while now, and we actually know who the seeding is going to be. You have the Pittsburgh Penguins going up against the New York Islanders. I have said this on the show before. Don't be surprised if the New York Islanders have a streaky run like they did last year. The New York Islanders are well known for getting momentum at the right time when it matters the most. So if the New York Islanders beat the Pittsburgh Penguins in the first round, do not be surprised if it happens. You have Washington versus Boston. You have Zdeno Chara going up against his former team. You're going to have Tom Wilson going up against Brad Marchand. There's going to be a lot of emotion in that series. I personally like Boston myself. I feel like they have enough talent to get to the second round. Uh, someone asked, what's my prediction for the uh, North? Well, I'm going to give it to you here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that Toronto will beat Montreal, and I have Winnipeg in an upset beating Edmonton. Edmonton's just two and a half players. That's all they got. And in the West Division, uh, I'm not going to give a prediction yet because we don't know who the number one seed and number two seed is going to be. So let's move over to the, to the Central, because the Central was the most tough battle you saw all year. Yeah, the Carolina Hurricanes going up against the Nashville Predators, and you have the Florida Panthers going up against the, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, I have Carolina beating Nashville. I know Nashville beat up on Carolina towards the end of the regular season, but you have to remember, Nashville was competing to get into the playoffs. Nash Carolina had already wrapped up their playoff spot two and a half weeks earlier. So I believe Carolina's talent will progress them into the second round. Florida versus Tampa Bay, your in-state rivalry, Miami versus Tampa Bay. I'm actually going to go with a huge upset here, and I'm going to say the Florida Panthers will defeat the reigning Stanley Cup champions. I believe that they will upset them in the first round of the NHL playoffs. I am calling it now. So this is the Sports Angle. I'm your host, Brock Over Kelly. We are here Monday to Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Mountain, 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern. We are here on sportsangle.com. Check out all the articles we have on there and go to our website, sportsangle.com, once again, to see all the content we have on there. And until next time, 
Rock on, and we will see you later. Buying a home can feel like navigating uncharted waters. Redfin agents can help. They'll answer your questions with honest advice so you know exactly what you're getting into. They'll also help you tour as many homes as you want and show you what it takes to make a winning offer. With a Redfin agent on your side, you can sail straight to your dream home. Local expertise from Redfin. That's real estate done right. Tour subject to property and agent availability. Virginia Office Falls Church, VA. 844-759-7732. Buying a home can feel like navigating uncharted waters. Redfin agents can help. They'll answer your questions with honest advice so you know exactly what you're getting into. They'll also help you tour as many homes as you want and show you what it takes to make a winning offer. With a Redfin agent on your side, you can sail straight to your dream home. Local expertise from Redfin. That's real estate done right. Tour subject to property and agent availability. Virginia Office Falls Church, VA. 844-759-7732.